Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. And I'm Jack King. And I'm Lou Thomas. On the show this week, Sam Raimi returns to the world of superheroes and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Nick Cave follows government advice and retrains in This Much I Know to Be True. And in Film Club, we celebrate the 50th anniversary of Bawdy Weimar Republic nightlife in Cabaret. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So welcome, welcome to the new era of the podcast. Um, I feel like this is a good opportunity to reintroduce myself. I'm Leila Latif. I'm a writer, critic and broadcaster working across some of the best film publications around and I make the occasional program with the BBC. I got my first commission with Little White Lies back in 2018, first guested on the podcast in 2020 with the wonderful Michael Leader and raged about Queen and Slim with Campbell A. Campbell. Since then, I've become a bit of a regular fixture in the magazine and on the podcast, and I'm really excited to take over as host and talk about films, good and bad, with some of the best in the biz. And speaking of the best in the biz, welcome Lou and Jack. <laughs> hey, <Hi>. hey, hey. <laughs> How's everything going? Couldn't be better, and it's a very exciting summer ahead, particularly to be hosting this pod, because we've got some great movies coming up from Park Chadwick and Olivia Wilde and Jordan Peele and David Cronenberg. What are you guys most looking forward to? Well, I think out of out of that little bunch, uh, the Park Chadwick um, I'm very interested in, and it must be said, is Ari Aster got Disappointment Boulevard is that on the way? I think. Yeah. Um, that looks that looks pretty tasty. But for me, of, of those those um, the Jordan Peele, I loved his first two, mm. and uh, and Nope looks very interesting. Um, not not just not just because it looks like a great film, but there's been all sorts of rumours swirling about Daniel Kaluuya and stuff like that, and about the the things that he and the, some of his slightly erratic behaviour on set, and of course some of the the things because he got rid of his agents fairly recently so whether that'll have any impacts on, on what comes out on the, the, the screen I'm, I'm quite excited yeah no similarly i've been intensely intensely hyped for no but since that first trailer came out it's just yeah just he he does no wrong as far as i'm concerned um but then the cronenberg as well i think uh, crimes of the future um i was a bit of a cronenberg agnostic actually admittedly up until recently i kind of like did a i did a, a very quick um kind of refresher on his filmography and i hadn't i hadn't actually seen like um existence or anything up until about a month ago um and uh, yeah loved that um rewatched crash um i am still slightly skeptical of its um you know of its kind of like domineering uh, cultural um 
stance. You know, everybody just absolutely loves that film. Um, I I think it's a wonderful film about uh, the the about kind of like heterosexual sexual taboos. Um, but it's <laughs> um, but I, I I do really really appreciate Cronenberg, and for that reason, I'm I'm very very hyped uh, for that. And also just Leia Sadu's Leia Sadu's in two movies that can guys, and mm. I, I just I love that for her. It's fantastic. I, well, I love it's her lacking because so last year she was in four. I know, but then she couldn't go because of COVID, which is just so tragic for her. Before we carry on, should we not, Layla, as it's your first, you know, as the official queen, should we not just say, Michael the King is dead, but long live Queen Layla? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> hey, I am staunchly anti-monarchy, so I cannot this is, you know, I would like to think of myself as more of a president, prime minister figure. I've been democratically elected rather than, you know, given this power with the divine right of kings. <laughs> so you're more into the French mode of <laughs> I'm the, I'm, with the guillotines and stuff. OK, I'm down with that too. That's well, cool. I, I, I was just about to say, I can't remember filing a ballot, but OK, fantastic. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to something that is, I'm sure, going to be very, very popular, whether or not it um, deserves its reign, I suppose, will be discussed. But first up, Doctor Strange. Dealing with the fallout of transdimensional antics in Spider-Man No Way Home and barely holding it together when his ex gets married, Doctor Stephen Strange encounters a girl with the power to traverse the multiverse. Unsure of what to do, he turns to Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff, for help. However, Wanda is still grieving the family she lost at the end of WandaVision and has her own agenda. So, Jack, when I came into this, I've got to say, I always think the easiest score is to figure out your in, in anticipation when it's the little white light scoring system. But I have no clue what I was mm-hmm. feeling going into it because Sam Raimi good, you know, some of the stuff he said in interviews about like this isn't a kind of Sam Raimi film. This is just like a next installment in the MCU saga that didn't bode well. You heard about all the cameos. That's a bit disconcerting. But were you excited for this and did it live up to what you expected? I don't I don't think that excited is the correct descriptor. Um, I was looking forward to seeing what Sam Raimi could do within the kind of like the very rigid and strict Marvel stable. I mean, obviously, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit sceptical again to um, this argument that, you know, you can bring in auteurs or like, you know, directors with very specific and idiosyncratic visions into the into the into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they'll actually be able to do something novel because it's always diluted. You know, so, you know, like even I, I think the, the, the best example actually of something being very different um, to that given blueprint would be for Ragnarok by Taika Waititi. But then I. You know, I, I would anybody consider Taika Waititi an auteur? <laughs> um, you know, a little bit skeptical, a little bit skeptical of that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, at this point, look, I just I watch them um, and I enjoy the spectacle of it occasionally. Um, I, I, I liked No Way Home um, for, for insofar as one can kind of like like a film that has nice emotional stakes and does something well with the cameos it has and I, I was hoping that Multiverse of Madness knowing that it was trying to drive the same kind of emotional through line with the same you know kind of like coitery of uh, of, of cameos um, I could enjoy it in the same way um, so just I guess it's just one big eh 
it, it, it's hard because, you know, these films are fundamentally fulfilling a function and they kind mm. of, they get from point A to point B and set up the world and they, you know, um, you know, they feel very much like products at a point and they follow a very precise pattern, but it, it's hard to really get excited about them anymore. Oh, how do you feel about it, Lou? Yeah, I, I feel like by this point, maybe we've had in, like and I watch all the Marvel films and I'm a bit of a flag waver for some of them you know I love Black Panther um I think Jack was right to pick on the Taika Waititi one and there's another one coming isn't there Love and Thunder uh, as, as, as being one that's you know shows a bit more of the director than most the, with this for me it's kind of okay when you, you're getting the Sam Raimi influences in it and there definitely are there are bits that feel very much like it, they could be part of the Evil Dead in different bits. And there's a little bit of humour and there's some, you know, eye-gouging monsters and there's some, you know, um, zombification and there's impalings and there's, you know, some good sorcery and chanting and books of the dead and all that sort of stuff, which we, we, we you know, anyone who's followed Sam Raimi's career, whether it's Evil Dead or Drag Me to Hell or whatever, will be familiar with. And for those bits, I was like, yeah, this is great. But... The trouble is, we know that it is quite, and I feel like I've said this kind of thing before if, on this pod, possibly in the past, but like, it is, some of these films, they are quite cookie cutter, and you, you can never totally get out of that Marvel template. You've, by any means necessary, you've got to keep the the um, show on the road, right? Each each bit leads to the next bit, leads to the next bit, leads to the next bit. There's never any, um, there's never any real jeopardy. In these film, films, and that's that's part of it. And, and and the one thing for me that was particularly galling was that you need such a huge amount of prior knowledge to make any sense of the plot. It's multiple multiple um, scenes of exposition. Many, like you know, and it's not just one or two little scenes. You feel like in the film, I don't know about you guys, that it felt like there was at least half a dozen, maybe more scenes of, oh, and this is what happened then, and this happened then, and by the way, this happened then, and it's like, oh, it, it, it just, it's so much stodge to wade through before you even get to anything. And I say mm. this as someone who likes these films, you know. Yeah, I mean, mm. I've, I've seen virtually all of them. I've seen one that I wasn't interested in, you know, for kind of work reasons, but I still mm. really struggled at times. Like when yeah. Chiwetel Ejiofor arrived and I just had a like, oh my God, can I please go to the cabins of my mind and figure out what this guy's deal was? Because I remember right. him vaguely, mm. but I feel, I was watching it feeling that like this is really being held back by how it has to connect to everything else. And in a yeah. way, if it wasn't, then they could actually go somewhere really fun with it because we're still talking about the blip. We're still talking about mm. the stuff that happened in Spider-Man. WandaVision was about two years ago, so it actually feels weirdly regressive. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is the thing. I think, you know, these the it, it, watching these films now, as much as, you know, I, I appreciate that people should be allowed to enjoy things, and I'm very, very happy people who do, um, yeah. it, 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 it feels more like you're watching, you know, the... the I don't know, the, the results of a commercial deal as opposed to like an actual, you know, living, breathing, organic piece of art, like an actual, like, like a film. It's not really, it's not really cinema, or at least I think that cinema should have the potential and propensity to be more than this. Um, and I don't think it's nooty to say that because it, it's, it's demonstrable. I mean, this is just, 
bit, what, watching Doctor Strange 2 is like, you know, being in the middle of a bridge with no end point and no, big, no beginning that you can kind of feasibly look back to and see. Um, and it just, it, it feels simultaneously connected to and entirely disconnected from everything that came before and will come after it. Because one, it relies on so much prior knowledge that unless you're such a staunch fan of both, I think, the comic books that came before it, um, especially with the cameos that come up later um, and uh, and the movies that came before it. Um, and then, you know, also kind of like have the the mind to want to kind of like go forward with your fandom. It's just, yeah, it's just, it relies on way, 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 way too much of that, which is such a shame because I think otherwise there are kind of like virtuous attempts to make it a very, very strong self-contained story. I mean, this was actually one of my favorite Marvel films as far as I can, as far as I can remember, um, because I think it has a really distinct and interesting visual point of view. I think that's consistent. I think it's consistently thrilling. Um, yes, it has a, you know, the, the script is laden with exposition and it's hokey and the dialogue is bad and it's quip a minute and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't feel like a critique that really holds any weight with Marvel anymore because that's what you know you're going to get. That's the default. So, you know, I mean, you, I think you can critique it from a macro perspective as like a, as a, a criticism of the Marvel stable at large. But as, a, as an individual movie, I mean, I... I I think it's still legitimate, but it's not something really to hone in on for Dog Strange 2 because this is just the, the state of things with these films. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because you, I, I don't know. And then there are, there are parts of it. I don't know how um, specific we can kind of go into the, the contents of the spoilers, especially given that the film has only just come out. Um, but there is one particular scene that I watched and it was just like watching Disney flop its kind of commercially engorged cock on the table in real time. Um, just kind of <laughs> flaunting the dotted lines that they've signed and their commercial deals and acquisitions and mergers that they've mm. managed to pursue in the last five or ten years. And their increasingly well, their increasing oligopoly um, when it when it you know when it comes to just absorbing everything around it and the fact that there's ever mm. that, that they are ever expanding is this it, kind of media it, conglomerate. If it's the same bit that I think it is, and I strongly sus- suspect it is, hmm. I actually, I hmm. actually, and it's trying to talk about this without getting too spoilery. I actually went, oh, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I forgot that they actually own that as well. That that's mm. part of this. Mm. Disney have bought so many things over the year, and it's and again, this is quite tough without getting around it. But Disney have bought so much over the years and own so much of the 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 landscape that you go, mm. oh yeah, oh oh, oh okay, I'm mm. not sure. Oh, and that ties in with that, really? Yes, yeah. and it's yeah, you know. So at times, I, I felt we that. would get bordering on kind of Space Jam two territory. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, there is one cameo that I will spoil because I don't think it really matters. And to me, it really stood out from the rest of them. And that was Bruce Campbell. Because yes, Bruce I love Campbell it. is in yeah. that film as a gesture yep. of love and not as a gesture yep. mm-hmm. of like rampant yep. consumerism. Just, he, just so I get this right, he was the, uh, the mustard in the eyes guy, right? Yeah. Mm. And Fair also enough. the perfect example of how fan service can work without, you know, coming across yeah. as too egregiously commercial or... Or, or, in, or indeed, like, reliant on, you, you know, 
knowledge of of prior works or or, or mm. brands or anything like that. I mean, you know, I think if somebody's watched the Spider Man movies and they or, or anything by Raimi, then they appreciate the relationship he has with him. Right, and knows that he pops up in cameos, and that's really nice. It's just lovely, it, and everybody wins. Everybody wins. It's wonderful. Exactly. He was even, and I, I didn't know until. Um, um, Actually, I had to, uh, another uh, sort of, I know this is off going off at a very small tangent, but I interviewed Sam Raimi last week, and he was Ooh, really, really, flex. he was really, he was really, really guarded, um, and really, he was, he answered the questions, but he was really quite, ama- you know, he was very like, Marvel, 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 Wonder, Wonder, and I thought, mm, okay. Um, well, fascinatingly, I, I thought it was really interesting, I read a, I read an interview, I think it was on Collider, where he said that there was the original cut that he, he put together, um, was two hours and forty minutes, and it's 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 interesting because I I, I usually think that these are these again these films are too, just far too long and need to be more economical with their runtime and everything as every film should be. But I mean, you know, yeah. these especially you know, like you know, No Way Home being I think like two hours and thirty six minutes, um, mm. Endgame being over three hours as far as I can recall. Like they're just over too long. I thought this way. Would, this was one of the few Marvel films I think I thought could have benefited from an extra 10 or 15, 20 minutes, if only for the cameos. Because the thing that annoyed me about the cameos was the fact that they had about 30 seconds of screen time and just had no dramatic weight. They, they, they served no purpose for the screenplay. And I think that can, I, I think that you can have cameos, fan service cameos, just look at No Way Home, where they are emotionally affecting. They have some, they, they, they drive the plot forward in some way. They, or they further those specific characters seen in the cameos though they further characterization in some meaningful way whereas here it just yeah it's it's it was it was very frustrating because just nothing happened just nothing happened and it was you, you could get rid of those scenes and get rid of all of the other references there are to other marvel films and series and projects and products um and brands and toys and etc um aside from perhaps wandavision and then you could have this wonderful self-contained story and I think it would be great. Well, it could have been great, but it doesn't sound like any of us thought it was. Uh, Should we get some scores on this? Uh, Jack, do you want to go first? In anticipation, enjoyment, and in retrospect. Okay, so anticipation, I would have given it a a, a two, maybe a three. I enjoyed No Way Home, like I said, um, and... I don't know. There's, I, I think the Sam Raimi of it was interesting, um, and I, I'm always intrigued to see how these films are going to go. These are they are you know the the dominant kind of cultural product at the moment. Um, I I would have said that in the moment. I a, a four, genuinely a four. I mean, there were there were real lows, like real low lows, um, but I enjoyed it. As a visual spectacle, it felt as though it had, you know, uh, it, was, it was it was captained by the right person. Um, and even though, you know, I, we haven't even talked about like the the weird kind of like uh, uh, strand of like ma- maternity and like everything about motherhood and you know the really really, st- I think the the strange um, kind of like depictions of, of 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 motherhood and everything, but um, but no, I I would be going to four, and then in retrospect, uh, a three, just because of the cameos and the fact that it has to exist within a, a universe when it could have been a great self-contained story um, has soured it for me. And Lou, what about you? Hmm, anticipation. I actually. <sighs> You know what? In anticipation, I 
really enjoyed the first Doctor Strange film because I thought it was quite something quite different. It was kind of psychedelic, uh, um, as psychedelic as a Marvel film will get, you know. And I really liked Sam Raimi. So anticipation, actually, I was probably a little bit higher, probably four, actually, for anticipation. Um, enjoyment, yeah, love the Raimi bits, but the exposition and the, and the, the cameos, I didn't, didn't really move me. Um, so enjoyment, uh, maybe two. Uh, and in retrospect, now I look at it, yeah, it's kind of okay. But I feel like I would say Marvel's days are numbered, but they're just there's juggernaut when they're just going to crack on. So in retrospect, free. So I'll go two, four, three. Oh baby, that bubble is never popping. Oh my god, we've got another. <laughs> I know, 10, I know. Years of this shit. I know, I know. It, it honestly feels like it's kind of bigger than humanity in many ways. We can reject. Mm. We could not choose to reject this. This is what we have to have. <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, me, I think threes across the board. To be honest, and in a weird way, that feels almost worse than if I was saying like one or two because this was just so fine solid competent not an unpleasant way to spend two hours but like for Sam Raimi to make something so that kind of that provokes so little a reaction I think is like deeply disappointing next up hopefully we will have something with a slightly more um artistic bent shall we say uh this much I know to be true when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Andrew Dominic's latest Nick Cave documentary is a companion piece to his 2016 film One More Time with Feeling. It reaches into the deep friendship and personal relationships between Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, capturing the mood and the spirit of the pair as they move through into a new optimistic phase. Lou, so are you a fan of Nick Cave and are you a fan of this film? So my thing with Nick Cave is um, undoubtedly whether you... He definitely... He definitely um, 
provokes a reaction because some people are like, oh my God, it's like, because he sings a bit like that and he's a very, seems very serious, talking about blood and murder and rah, and the devil and the Bible. Blah, blah. Right? Now, if you've ever heard any Nick Cave, that's huh? sometimes what that's the music sounds like. Now, the truth <laughs> of the matter is, he is undoubtedly a brilliant artist. Whether you like his music or not, and like I say, there are some people who don't. Personally, I like hip-hop and house music and rock music and whatever, and I think Nick Cave is brilliant. Do I own any of his albums? No. Have I even seen him live? No. But if a Nick Cave, a few Nick Cave songs come on um, a soundtrack of something, or if I go around a mate's house and he's, he or she is playing, I don't know, a Grinder Man album or a Bad Seeds album or a Birthday Party album or whatever, I'll always listen and go, oh, Nick Cave, innit? And they'll nod and we'll go, yeah, Nick Cave know what, knows what's up. Because fundamentally he does, right? He's a brilliant mm. artist and he's written some great stuff film-wise, you know, the proposition and whatever. Um, and he's done soundtracks and he's done all sorts, right? That you cannot argue with. And I think to argue with that, you just have to be a bit silly and frivolous. And I can be very silly and frivolous, as you know. But Andrew Dominic, I think, is a great artist as well, right? I particularly, I know everyone goes on about, you know... Um, Assassination of Jesse James, or, or um, sorry, guys, let's um, actually get the name of that. Assassination Phil, um, of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Right there we go, folks. That's the correct title. But actually, my favourite Andrew Dominic film is Killing Them Softly, right? Which I think is a real sort of noirish work of art, you know, like an mm. underbelly of America thing that I, I, I love. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant film. Um, anyway, so Andrew Dominic, brilliant. Nick Cave, brilliant. And they've worked together, as we, as we know. And this is, again, a very high-quality piece of work. There is no question. So just to lay out what you get when you see this film, um, you get an interesting kind of six or seven minutes of Nick Cave talking about what he did during the lockdown in the UK. Because this, mm. was, this, was, this was... And it's... Um, you get him saying he can't even remember the word retrain and he has to be reminded and that's quite funny. So the film start, starts of, of someone in the crew, I don't think it's Andrew Dominic, but someone behind the camera going, uh, what's the word? Like, oh, retrain. So that's quite Yeah, amusing. he kind and of acts he, like he was inspired by that awful government campaign where the ballerina right. had her next right. job in it's, cyber. It's, it's, it, exactly. <laughs> it's, this produced, it's this produced scene where he's like, yeah, I've retrained as a ceramicist. And then we cut to... Um, Nick Cave talk, talking about ceramics, and then he goes through these 18 um, ceramics he's created. Of the, and of course, of course, it's Nick Cave. So the ceramics that he's built are, it's the story of the devil, of course it mm. is, right? So, so that's quite funny. So you get, fu- and you think, well, what's this, what's this going to be then, this duck? And then the kind of bulk of what we actually get takes over, which is, um, for the most part, it's twelve. Um, it's a recording of twelve songs from um, the twenty nineteen album Ghost Teen and uh, the twenty twenty one album Carnage, which um, um, Cave made with um, and Warren Ellis. More on that relationship in a bit. Um, and there are twelve songs, and obviously Andrew Dominic is, is, is directing them, and Robbie Ryan, genius cinematographer, who we all know about, has, has shot many many beautiful films. Um, I can't even think of any off the top of my head. Someone jump in and say some Robbie Ryan films. No, we can we can add the <laughs> we, can, we can add. He's shot it. And even even um, he shot that really good one in the caravan. You, you're not not in the caravan. 
Oh god, someone remind me what the name oh, is. Oh, American Honey and Fish Tank. Uh, Fish Tank. Fa- and he shot the favourite. Yeah. Right. He course. shot Robbie Ryan, brilliant cinematographer. Sorry, I should have written that down in the notes, but there we go. So Rob, so maybe we'll cut that bit out. So Robbie Ryan um, is the cinematographer, and Andrew Dominic, who has been pals with Nick Cave for years, is the director, and they 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 shoot the the, the music and the recording of the songs in Battersea Arts Centre, in the Grand Hall in Battersea Arts Centre, in, in my glorious, beloved South London. And, oh, it's, it's beautiful. It's, the, the, the footage is absolutely beautiful and the songs are incredible. You know, ephoral and, and, and yearning and, and um, full of richness, the kind of richness and lyrically that we come to expect from Nick Cave and the kind of interesting soundscapes we expect from him and Warren Ellis. So that is probably 80%. That's probably... 80% of the um, film, and the other 20% is Warren Ellis and Nick Cave's um, sort of behind-the-scenes stuff where they're talking, and that mm-hmm. we get some good insights into their relationship. It's nothing we haven't necessarily seen before in, in documentaries about Nick Cave, but it is very moving, and, and it is quite interesting. That's what I'd say. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting how um, he films Nick Cave performing as opposed to speaking and in those performances he almost seems to kind of be consumed by like a divine presence and that's kind of done in the lighting and you know the way that it's shot um, as opposed Mm. to the sort of lovely man making his ceramics about the devil but Jack what is it what did you make of this? Um, well, I mean, I was relatively au fait with, with Nick Cave beforehand. Um, when I told my partner that I was coming on the podcast to do a Nick Cave film, he was like, oh, what is that? Um, the unbearable weight of massive talent. And I was like, no, 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 that's, that's the wrong guy. <laughs> um, but no, I, 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 I liked the album he made after the death of his son. Obviously a very tragic story. And I think that he imbues his lyricism with so much emotional verve. And like, I, I love some of how some of his lines are so... Um, you know, so vivid and so poetic, and like there is that he gets so much into. I think so much into his music, um, which I, I really like. Not not really my my genre, um, but I, I you definitely can't um, deny that he's a fantastic vocalist and a, a fantastic artist. Um, documentary um, I thought was really entertaining. Had it loud. Really enjoyed the music. Um, nothing I'd really heard before. Actually, I haven't really kept up with his his newer stuff. Um, and uh, I really, really, I, I appreciate one scene particularly where he's, I, I, I think he's with the collaborator and he's, um, he's, uh, he's reading letters on the internet. He says there's like 30,000 of them or something like that. It's like this kind of like an unlimited scroll of letters from different people, all kind of like just screaming out to the void about their problems. There's somebody who says he's been left by his wife, so he's thinking about committing suicide. And there's somebody else who is, I think it's, I think it's a younger guy, I might be misremembering, but I think it's a younger guy who's, you know, still hasn't got over the death of, I think, his sister. Um, and, you know, it's, I think it plays into his music. There's like, these, the, the, you know, given that it's so thematically around existentialism and about the meaning of life and death. And, you know, I think his, it appeals so much to that kind of psyche, you know, where you feel trapped and you have nobody to speak to. And this is why we turn to music fundamentally. Um, but I just love his reflections on that and how he finds it a meditative process to read through these things and just to kind of like, it, it, it's an extension of empathy, right? Because he's, he's reading through these thoughts and these ideas and these notions from people who have no one else to turn to. So they just turn to the void of the internet and chuck them all out there. I, I thought that was really particularly compelling. 
Um, but but otherwise, yeah, I I it wasn't something that was on my radar. I hadn't anticipated at all. But I I really enjoyed the watch actually. Yeah, I I found it intensely moving, not just as a kind of portrait of an artist, but as something you you get a sense really about how creating that art has like helped him cope with his grief and his various things and um, also the way that it's affecting the people around it. I mean, not least Andrew, um, Andrew Dominic, who uh, whilst we're waiting for Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe biopic, mm. we get to have a little kind of sample of his talents. Uh, but let's get some scores on this. Uh, Lou, do you want to do In Anticipation, Enjoyment and In Retrospect? Anticipation... Um, well, we, we, we've seen Nick Cave documentaries before, but as, as we've sort of said, he's a fascinating artist and, and it's a great director who's had a go at it, at this again and then they're friends. So there was obviously going to be some good stuff coming out of it. So four in anticipation. Enjoyment, yeah, totally. Um, you can't fault the music. The music is a five and the, and the, the creative process is, is fascinating. So I'd say a high four for uh, enjoyment. And in retrospect... Yeah, again, four, I think. Um, you, you look at it and it's like, it may not necessarily be giving us anything brand new, although Jack made a, a great point about the Red Hand Files, which is the name of the, the thing mm. that people write into for, for Nick Cave. Right, um, yeah, the, um, that was an interesting sort of new bit. But, but otherwise, I mean, but put it this way, it's not, you're not going to win over any brand new Nick Cave fans but it is it is a great it is a really interesting insight. Yeah, I mean it, it it doesn't it does expect you to kind of know a bit about Nick Cave. It's not going to kind of spell out his entire career. It's not uh, mm. kind of a, there's there's no kind of big information dump about his significance. It just sort of expects you to come with a level of of appreciation for for what he does. Um, yeah, I think um, three four four for me. Um, I wasn't particularly looking forward to it. I watched the last one, and I, I, I you know after the terrible story of what happened to his son. I didn't really see why there was a need for another, and I was proven wrong. Jack, did we do your scores? We did not. No, no. sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Jack, what about you? What are your scores? Um, I would go for three, four, four um, myself. Um, I mean, in, in terms of anticipation, I remember in my 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 old life, way back when, when I was a cinema curator, we used to show the Nick Cave documentaries all the time, and they'd sell out in 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 days, you know, which was something we never saw at the venue that I used to run um but so there was there's so much there's like a real fervorous appetite for his works um and I, I liked so much time of feeling and everything and then uh, yeah just but this one wasn't really on my radar um and uh, yeah I, I really enjoyed it like they said you can't fault the music um I think the the kind of like the the thematic through line, the, the the conversations around you know the nature of artistry and creativity, and like again those specific scenes where they're they I I also really like the bickering between him and um, Warren Ellis. Warren, Warren Ellis, sorry, with, with the bickering between him and Wallace Warren Ellis, manifestly somebody who I have no idea who he is. Um, but I I just love how they're two kind of like curmudgeons just going off at one each other. Um, but but yeah, no three four four across the board for me. Wonderful. If you've got any thoughts on these films, you can email truthandmovies at TCO London or tweet us at LWLies. In Berlin in 1931, an American cabaret singer, Sally Bowles, meets a British academic, Brian Roberts, who is finishing his university studies. Despite Brian's confusion over his sexuality, the pair become lovers, but the arrival of the wealthy and decadent playboy Maximilian von Hune complicates matters for them both. This love triangle plays out against the rise of the Nazi party and the collapse of the Weimar Republic. 
So this film is now 50 years old, amazingly, and I don't think any of us are 50 years old. So I'm kind of wondering what point in your life you first watched Cabaret, Jack? Um, so for me, actually, it was relatively recently, which I mean, if anybody's aware of my work around queer cinema and everything might come as a surprise. But I mean, I, I think I actually watched Cabaret in full for the first time um over lockdown which is which is and i know a, a, a shocking fact to hear but i've always been a big fan of christopher Wood. so one of the formative texts in my life um was actually a single man um and christopher Wood wrote the uh well the, the novella or the collection of novellas in which cabaret is kind of like notionally based so my favorite was goodbye to berlin and it's it follows basically the same story where you have sally bowles bowles sorry bowles <laughs> i mean that would also be an apt name given the hedonism of it all um, but you know you've got Sally Bowles and uh, and uh, and I mean in the film his name's Brian Roberts but he has a different name in the original text um, and uh, and yeah and it's about you know the head of the Weimar Republic and you know this encroaching and creeping kind of this 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 black cloud this black thunderous cloud that's coming over that is Nazism um, and you know re- rewatching it here um, I, I think this is the third time I've seen it now. I, I was I was particularly struck by how it kind of forebodes um, formally, and I think in 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 the way that the characters kind of react to the changing environment and react to each other, and how the dialogue changes, and how you get you get, you get some specific scenes of like the actual impact of creeping Nazism, and you know I think like, you know, like Brian played by Michael York is beaten up, or at least it's implied that he's beaten up by some Nazi uh, Nazi like paperboys or whatever. Um, but um, but yeah, no, it's just a really, really wonderful film. And and as as somebody who you know, apologies to my fellow homosexuals, not a big fan of musical theatre, not a big fan of movie musicals. Um, really love this because it's 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 a it's a it's a bleak musical, which is always exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is bleak, but um, it always just seemed to me to be the utter kind of height of cool as well. I watched it a lot as a teenager. It's a film I, I really come back to as a kind of piece of comfort. But um, yeah, I, I'm with you that I was struck most by the politics of this time and how sort of you can be indifferent to the political dark right wing thing happening around you, but it doesn't make it happen any less. And you can't kind mm. of completely close your eyes to it. But Lou, what about you? What did you think of Cabaret? So um, I have to confess also, it had been one that had sort of been on the, oh, yeah, I'll get around to seeing that. One of those films, you know, we've all, if you're in a film, you've all, everybody's got 50 of those films, 100 of those films, 500 of those films. My deepest, um, darkest secrets are those films. <laughs> and, yeah, indeed, indeed. And had had um, it not been on the brief to watch it, it might have been another six months, a year, five years until I watched it last night. So, um, so anyway, I, I kind of, I've kind of got mixed feelings, right? Because the actual, the subject matter, I find mm. fascinating. So um, I love Berlin as a city. Uh, I'm keenly interested in 20th century history and, you know, the Weimar Republic obviously turned into the, you know, the, the rise of the Nazis and then obviously the Second World War and, and all that. It, it was obviously an extremely, not just scary and destructive and awful time and, and, and so on and so forth. So obviously that is a brilliant... Um, milieu, should we say, um, or, or, or era, or, or whatever you want to say, to, to, to choose for the subject of a work of art or, or a film or whatever. So that, it ticks loads of boxes on that front for me. And Liza Minnelli is clearly born for that role. 
right? Mm. She's obviously excellent and, and deserving of the Oscar and all that business. Lou, are you calling are you calling Liza Minnelli a nepotism baby? I mean, God. <laughs> well, well, I mean, let's face it. Your mum's Judy Garland, your dad's Vincent Minnelli. You know what I mean? I know, I, I, I know right? Yeah. But, but, but look, look, having said Clean that, hey, nepotism hey, is fine sometimes. Right. Hey, I, I, well, hey, hey, hey. Hey, look, look, look! I, I loved uh, Cooper Hoffman in Licorice Pizza, right? So, so sometimes, sometimes nepotism in Hollywood, I'm down with on occasion, right? Right, Jack. We need to, we need to, to take this offline, mate. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you're you're on record. With yeah, that before now, you mate. start That's... insulting the great Laura Dern. <laughs> right. Well, I love Laura Dern. You know, so there's loads. I love Laura Dern. You know, she's actually also Laura Dern is a really nice person, right? She's a, as well as being a great actor. Anyway, look, look. I digress. Liza Minnelli is obviously great in this role, right? And the the like I say that the setting and everything is great. And I like the whole um, Sunday bloody Sunday difficult threesomeness of it, right? Mm. And interesting, it's sort of similar in in I think within a year or two. So I think uh, Blood, Sunday bloody Sunday was maybe nineteen seventy one, and I think this was seventy two. I think um, mm. I, I'm sure they're within a year or two. So I like that that aspect of it. I find very very interesting when you've got. Um, you know, gender fluidity and you've got um, relationships and things that don't quite work out and, and love affairs and sexual relationships that can't quite work out and sometimes are doomed and whatever. I find that as fascinating and I'll watch any film that's got that element in, right? Mm-hmm. So all that all that said, it's great. And, and visually, again, I think it's a really good film. Mm-hmm. The trouble is, guys, I just don't like musicals, right? I just... I, I, I like Oliver because it's about dirty London um, orphans and urchins, right? And I like the South Park films and I like the Jungle Book. But after <laughs> that, after that, maybe La La Land. But after that, I just... Wow, you I went really... La La Land before West Side Story. This is... Well, I, 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 it just came into my head. Don't kill me, Jesus. Luna, I mentioned... I mentioned... Look, I mentioned I mentioned the Jungle Book, right? That's better than all those films. But anyway, um, but words. <laughs> well, you know, you got to have a strong opinion, otherwise I wouldn't be on the pod, right? But like, yeah. I, I just I would have preferred to watch the film, given the subject matter, not as a mu- or maybe a couple of musical numbers, and the rest actually mm. acted out. Personally, that would have been more my thing. Don't get me wrong; it's clearly a decent film. It's just one of those where you can admire it. You know, when you watch a film and you go. Oh, it's not for me, but the, there'll be an audience that will love this. Like I can see why everyone loves it, and I can see why I can see why people f- are like admire it and revere it and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And it's great, and there'll be loads of people who, who go and see this on its re-release, and that's wicked too. It's just not, it's just not really my thing. If you see what I mean. Yeah, I, I think I think Leila, you said earlier. Um, I think it's a really apt time for it to re-release again. Another thing that struck me in kind of like relation to the the, the, the creeping Nazism that you feel throughout the film um, is just how kind of timely it feels. This idea of you know going out to parties and being quite irreverent and you know just just uh, to to to. to to, to, to the global state of things, or even to the even to the even to the even to, the, into, even to your general surroundings, and just kind of enjoying oneself and engaging in this kind of like this hedonistic frill, um, when you you know you've got this this ground shaking and world changing force consuming you without even knowing. Um, I I, fi- I found that really apt because you know we've. Because of because of the, the the well the present state of things, I mean it, it needs no kind of elaboration of everything that's happening in Ukraine and 
the creeping wave of turfism in the UK and the mm. fact that abortion is going to be made illegal federally in America very soon. Mm. Um, it's it's um, and I, I, I make that point in relation to the fact that I think we all, all presumed or I think society at large presumed that things were moving in this kind of progressive and open direction, which is, you know, kind of what cabaret itself and the cabaret itself and the Kit Kat Club all kind of represents and is emblem, em, emblematic of. Um, and uh, actually, no, it's, it's a solid reminder of the fact that the creeping forces that would like to restrain our our kind of progressive and uh, and open-minded values um still exist um and and that was the thing that was kind of reverberating around in my brain last night when I when I watched it again very beautifully put jack Thank you. Um, do you agree with us that Cabaret is a masterpiece and Lou must have watched the wrong film? You can contact us. Uh, email truth at movies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLive. Next week, Michelle Yeoh is thankfully everything, everywhere, all at once. Gaspar Noé has a spiralling into a vortex. And for Film Club, mm. we're inspired by the current BFI season on New French Extremity and we'll be watching Marina Devans In My Skin. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Jack King and Lou Thomas. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 